Matthew 8. We're going to read verses 18 through 22 and spend all of our time in the last two verses to finish up where we were last week. Beginning in verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let me pray once more. Father, as we open your word and seek you, we pray that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you will show us what it is to follow Jesus as we look to this passage. Help us in your mercy and grace. Carry us on by your spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're making our way through Matthew 8. Uh, we've seen many healings from Jesus as, we, as, as, uh, as he came off the mountain. He cleansed the leper. He's healed the servant of the centurion. He has healed Peter's mother-in-law from fever. And then we get to uh, verse 18, and we see some in interaction, engagement with those who are following Jesus because there are many, as we've seen in verse or in chapter 8, many have been following him. Great crowds have gathered around him, and understandably so. Um, we've also been seeing in Matthew 8 how Matthew is piecing together who Jesus is by revealing to us, uh, as we looked last week, that Jesus is the Son of Man, by revealing to us Jesus' dominion over uh, the body, over disease. Next, uh, well, in two weeks, we're going to see Jesus dominion over uh, nature as he calms the storm as they cross over the Sea of Galilee. Uh, but we, we got to verse 18, and Jesus, as a reminder of last week, sees the crowds growing and says, all right, it's time for us to go to the other side. <laughs> and I told you that Jesus has his ways of short, sort of counterintuitive to what we would think shaking off the excess of those who are following him. He tends to gather big crowds, and then he'll say something, and then that'll push a lot of people away. Or he'll do something to try to escape the crowds. And he does so in verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And then, so, uh, presumably, he's going to go to the other side, and some are going to follow with him. And then the, the one we spoke about last week came up to him in verse 19, a scribe, one who we said would be familiar with the Old Testament, very familiar with the law of God, came up to, to Jesus calling him teacher and said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responded to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no way to nowhere to lay his head. And we saw the irony in Jesus calling himself the son of man because we look back at Daniel 7 which was the reference he was making in the prophecy that the son, that one like the Son of Man would be presented before the Father and be given all dominion, rule, and authority, and that all the nations would serve him. But he says, this night, and while he lives on this earth, 
he has nowhere to lay his head. And so we looked at what the cost of following Jesus was. Uh, and I don't want to really go too much into that, but I want to go into the, the next encounter he has directly following that in verse 21. Another of his disciples comes and says to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, there, there's a lot that we can know and there's a lot that we just don't know about this interaction. So I want to get that out of the way. Uh, the, specifically the parts that we don't know. Okay, Here, Here's what we aren't so sure about. Is this, when he calls him a disciple, when Matthew calls him a disciple, is this one of the twelve? We don't know. Uh, did he obey and follow Jesus and not worry about, as he said, going and burying his father first? Well, that, again, we don't know the answer to that. Um, here's one that if you've studied this passage and read any commentary, you know there's some conflict with this one. Some say his father's not even yet died. Okay? Many well-respected pastors, theologian commentaries, take it from their interpretation that his father has not yet died. Well, again, we're unsure because as many as say that he hasn't, there's many that says that he has died. All right? So that's one thing we could maybe put in the we're not so sure column. Um and the other thing that wasn't very very well agreed upon was how long would he be gone? Because he says, first let me go and bury my father. Some say the burial tradition for the Israelites was a year long. Now, I won't go into all that, but basically it could, he could be gone for up to a year. All right. Now, again, there's sort of back and forth on whether that is the true amount of time. But those are the things that we're unsure about. But let me be sure about this. I don't think it really matters that we're unsure about all those things to understand what Jesus has to tell us here in his interaction with this one disciple. Now, I do want to lay out something for you, and this might be noteworthy. When you're reading your Bible, there's two ways to approach a passage, seeing it as descriptive or prescriptive. Now, we all understand the idea of being prescribed something, right? If you're prescribed something, what should you do? You should do it, right? If you're prescribed certain medicines for a certain disease, it's on the bottle. Do it. Take it this way. It's prescribed to you. So there are some texts that are prescriptive, and you must do them exactly how they're told to you. Now, there's others that are descriptive, meaning it's describing to you something in history or in an interaction and not so telling you how you ought to do something, right? So it could be descriptive, it could be describing to you something, or it could be prescriptive and telling you that you need to do this. Now this passage, we want to approach it as descriptive, okay? And we'll see this as we go along. Nowhere in history, I hope, I hope nowhere in the, in the history of the church has anyone told someone they can't go bury their parent because they're a Christian. That would be the prescriptive look at this passage. Does that make sense? You understand the difference? But now it's a, this is a passage describing Jesus' interaction with the disciple at that moment. Okay, So it's, it's really important for us to approach it that way. 
All right, with that, with that set aside, let's think about this. Now, just two verses, uh, but here, here's sort of, here's what I want to do first. And I say first, and you're going to hear the word first a lot here in just a second. I want us to think about priorities as a Christian, or priorities when it comes to following Jesus, because that's what the actual command here to the disciple in verse 22 is from Jesus, follow me. But the thing that we've got to look at is the disciple's first word, and he says, Lord, let me first go. The disciple's setting priorities as he's interacting with Jesus. The first significant word in this passage is the word first. He says, Jesus, basically, I'm going to follow you, but first, let me go do something else. I'll follow you after I go and... So what is he doing? He's setting priorities. This thing he has to do is number one, and following Jesus comes number two. So... Not maybe even following Jesus, but obeying Jesus. And you, and we'll see and understand that here in a minute. Jesus' response is, in his first two words, in, in, in just telling him, follow me, squashes this man's priorities instantly. It would be like you as a parent who have told, you've told your child or you, when you were a child and you were told to clean your room. And the response is, well, let me first finish this coloring page. And what's your typical response? You don't even have to respond with a no. You don't even have to respond with a I did not say that. You can just simply say, go clean your room. In affirming that the, mo- the number one priority of what is going on is what you've said. And that's what Jesus is telling this guy in verse 22. He just simply says, no, he doesn't say, no, don't go do that. Follow me. He doesn't. He just says, "Follow me." That's how Jesus responds. Number one priority: follow me. Now, there's three things about the grammar of that word Jesus uses in verse 22 when he says, "Follow." Three things. Number one, it's an imperative, meaning, as when you said to your child, "Clean your room," it was a command. And so, when Jesus tells this disciple, "Follow me." It is an imperative Greek word, and so it is a command. And therefore, to not do it and to not prioritize it would be disobedience on 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 the um, on uh, on behalf of this disciple. So it's a command. It's an imperative word. It's also active, meaning it must be done by this disciple, right? Follow me. Who? You. You have to follow me. It's an imperative command, and it must be done by you. It's also present. It's a present verb, meaning when does it need to be done? Right now. So you, right now, follow me. I know this is pretty straightforward and simple, and I don't want to un- I don't want to insult your intelligence, but those three things are very important. It is a command. It is to be done by him, and it is to be done at that moment. Right now, prioritizing. I use the, I'm going to be using this word for a while, and I, I don't really like it, but it just seems to where I've landed. I want us to consider prioritizing following Jesus as we've rolled out these things in these two verses. And I want to look at prioritizing following Jesus in two diff- different ways. 
initially in the beginning, right? But also persistently or continually. These are two ways of following Jesus, initially and consistently or or persistently. The initial call to follow Jesus, first and foremost, and this is when someone is confronted by the words of Jesus. Okay, whether it be this this guy or uh, Matthew, as we'll see uh, later on in chapter 10, uh, someone that you've had a conversation with and has presented the gospel to them, you have, in an essence, confronted them with the words of Jesus. You've presented the good news of Christ, and then therefore, they're in need of a response. So the initial call to follow Jesus could look different in many ways. If you consider Paul when he goes to Athens, uh, Paul goes to Athens, who are Gentiles, who who worship many gods, and this is how he calls them to follow Jesus. He says this, And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. Now this sounds totally different than Jesus' words to this disciple who just said, follow me. But now Paul is saying all of this to these Athenians, these pagan worshipers. And he continues on. He says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or image formed by the art and imagination of a man. That's their idolatry. Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands, there's the imperative, all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he had appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul was telling the Athenians to follow Jesus. All right. Now, we read the, uh, the the introduction of the church at Thessalonia or Thessalonica, and what did it say that they did upon hearing the command to obey and believe the gospel? It said they imitated Paul and the Lord. They followed Paul, but they followed the Lord, right? And I I want you to uh, well, we'll come back to those words imitate and follow here. We have to understand. That the command of the gospel is to follow. Now, it ch- I challenge you to find that command in the New Testament epistles from Paul or James. Not once does Paul or James tell anyone to follow Jesus in the same way that Jesus tells his disciples at that time to follow him. And I was really confused about that for a while. I was really trying to figure out why that that idea of following and disciple. The word disciple falls off the scriptures after the after Acts. And the command to follow actually falls off too. What becomes the new command in the after the ascension of Jesus? Believe. Right? Believe. 
But there is another word that actually starts to appear in the New Testament after the ascension of Jesus, after he leaves this earth. Now, some translations translate it follow, but most translate it imitate. Now, why would the idea of following Jesus fall away after his ascension and then the idea of imitation take place, take its place? Well, the idea of following Jesus was physical and spiritual. Jesus was about to go across the lake, right? And he told the disciple, follow me. Well, after Jesus leaves this earth and goes to his throne in heaven, can you follow Jesus physically there? No. What are you called to do then? To imitate. Now, I know I'm parsing, I'm I'm splitting hairs here. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to see. When you follow after Jesus, it isn't following him to church. It's not following him to a Bible study. It's following in his footsteps of imitation. It's becoming like him. It is reflecting who he is, being made into the image of that we were originally created to be. So when you think about when you think about the initial call to follow or believe, what is meant here from Jesus to these disciples is literally to leave everything and to follow along with him, to learn from him, to sit at his feet, to to become like him. We are called to believe the gospel, to follow Christ, and also become like him, but not through a physical sense. After his ascension, the command is no longer follow, but imitate, to believe and, and do as he does. Now, there's two, two sort of problems that arise from... Well, let, me, let me back up. Going back to the initial call of Jesus to follow. Um... If we ever respond to Jesus and his initial call, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but first let me, two problems come from that. Two problems arise from that sort of response. Number one, if you respond to Jesus and say, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me, you don't place Jesus, the Son of God, in his place, in his rightful place. You actually place him behind something else. You put him second. You take the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you deny him his rightful place. You make him second and deny him, disobey him in disbelief. And number two, when you say, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you, but let me first, you also have to realize that when you return to wherever wherever you were, after whatever you desired to do, when you get back to follow him, he might not be there. So when Jesus told this disciple, follow me, and he goes, well, let me first go bury, um, let me first go bury my father. Well, if it took six months, if it took a year, if it took three days, when he came back to that, that, that seaside, guess where Jesus would not be? At that seaside. Now, If he went back to Capernaum after a year, Jesus wasn't hanging out in Capernaum. Jesus is not waiting for us 
letting us get our lives straight, letting us fix our problems, not getting our careers going in the right direction, not making sure we get our house and our two cars, and say, get all that taken care of, and then come and follow me. No, it's the very opposite. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, God is patient. We read it this morning in Romans 2. God is patient. But for those who use the patience of God as an excuse are actually taking advantage of God, but not in the sense that you would think. Romans 2 says this, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of the Lord when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here's the, here's the, the crux of, of that. If you tell the Lord, if He calls you to follow Him, and you say, but first let me go, you're storing up wrath for the day of judgment. You're presuming on the patience and kindness of God, which is actually there to lead you to repentance. And there are some of you who are hit, sitting here under my, the sound of my voice, and it's as if you're playing with fire. You are waiting, sitting next to Jesus, sitting out, excuse me, sitting out, not obeying the call to follow, not obeying the call to believe Jesus. You hear the call week after week, Sunday after Sunday, and that call presses against your conscience. And to you, I want you to understand that, behold, now is the favorable time to follow Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. But here's the thing. There's no obstacle in your way. There's nothing keeping you from following Him. The only actual obstacle is your lack of faith or perhaps your arrogance that you can make the Lord wait upon you. And you've got to know this. Christ, the Son of God who came into this world to save sinners from the wrath of God that is coming upon mankind as we saw in 2 Thessalonians, this Christ, He lived that righteous life that you and I could never do, the life that pleases God. You and I stumble and trip over day after day and he put himself on the cross to pay for sins that we have committed sins against God he became poor that we might be rich he was made sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God see Jesus stands on the bank and tells you commands you to follow him let our response let not your response be yeah but let me first go and do this Trust in Him and follow Him wherever He leads you. Do not delay. Do not wait. Because if you go back to Him, He might not be on the shore. If you go looking to seek Him, He might not be found. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Prioritize Jesus as He calls you to follow Him. Now, prioritize Jesus, Christians, as you follow Jesus daily. 
What do I mean by this? It's not enough to put him first initially, one time. But as Christians, you remember how we defined that word last week? Following Jesus. As Christians, we prioritize following Jesus on a daily basis, continually. Think about how this text plays out. Jesus sees the crowd. He says, let's go to the other side. And then verse 23, he goes to the other side in a boat. And who follows him? His disciples. So we know that some disciples followed him. And we're told that this man is called a disciple. Another one of the disciples said to him, let me first go and bury my father. What am I trying to say? It's safe to say that this guy's been following Jesus for a while. He has prioritized his initial response to Jesus' call to follow him. But something's happened. Something's pressed him. He seems to now be prioritizing something else on following Jesus this day as they looked across the sea. So if you hear one thing today, hear this. <laughs> this isn't earth shattering. But it's something we must always consider. To be a follower of Jesus, which is what, what do we call those? Christians, right? That's why they called them Christians. To be a follower of Jesus is to always follow Jesus. Always. There's no taking days off. There's no seasons which you can take off because something comes up or this is going this way or that's going that way. The world will give you all kinds of reasons. Your flesh will give you all kinds of reasons to take a step back and say, I'm going to pass on this trip. It might be hurt. It might be pain. It might be confusion. It might be whatever the case might be in the season of, of your life. The world and your flesh will always find a, a, a half truth to say, I think I'm just going to set this one out for a season, Jesus. I'm not going to follow you to the other side. But Jesus just says, no, 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 you can't do that. You cannot just take a break. And, I mean, he's going to go bury his dad, right? Can he not go and bury his father and be a follower of Christ at the same time? Yes, but that's not what Jesus has commanded of him. I want you to pay careful attention at this. Jesus did not tell him to believe in me and go be a Christian. He said, follow me. Where was he going? To the other side of the lake. He was told by Jesus to follow him. Not as you and I think about it. Believe in Jesus and be a disciple and, and do as he says. No, he said, follow me. And he was going to the other side of the lake. That's why it's so important for us to see this distinction between those who are physically following Jesus and us who are spiritually following Jesus or imitating Jesus. If the disciple decides to go and bury his father and not to continue following Jesus, he will be prioritizing something over following Jesus. He must, in order to be obedient, go across the lake. You and I, on the other hand, are not asked to go across a lake. You and I, on the other hand, can go and bury our father, our mother, as a follower of Jesus. 
do you, you understand what I'm what I'm trying to I'm trying to get at here? The reason why the shift from following to imitating happens is because they literally had to follow Jesus across the lake. Where are you following him to? Across the Jordan. Are you are you taking a trip across the Jordan? No. You're walking the rest of your life in faith in Christ, waiting for the day to see him. Ephesians 5 tells you not to follow God, but tells you to imitate God. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As you provide for your family, you can follow Jesus. As you go and bury an elderly parent, you can follow Jesus. How? By imitating Jesus. And what what does he say in Ephesians 5? How do you imitate God through love? The thing that he says that we should do in imitating God, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You got to go bury your elderly parents. Do it in a way that imitates Jesus' love and compassion. You have to care for your elderly parents. Do it as Jesus did as he was dying on the cross, giving over his mother to John to care for her. You got to go to work tomorrow, maybe on the third. You got to go to work someday, maybe it be tomorrow or Wednesday. You follow Jesus while you go to work. Why? How? You imitate him. You understand? We're not called to go anywhere. We're called to imitate as we go. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We as Christian disciples today are not going from town to town, sitting at the feet of Jesus around the fire, joining the crowds as he's preaching and doing the miracles. Do you know what we're doing? We're being husbands and fathers, wives and mothers, grandparents, neighbors, friends, co-workers, managers, bankers, cashiers, farmers, teachers, yard sailors, fishermen, hunters. We're doing all of these things in Fulton County, Arkansas. We must bury our loved ones. We must pay our bills. We must cut our grass. We must change our oil, buy groceries, clean our houses. How? By following Jesus, imitating him. None of these things that I just said are going to put you in this decision of, oh, should I pay my bills or follow Jesus today? (laughs) Should I clean my house or follow Jesus today? Should I care for my elderly parents or follow Jesus today? You see, that's not, this is why this passage isn't prescriptive. Jesus has not once told you to not honor your father and mother. Okay? And he's not telling this guy to not honor his father and mother. It's on the contrary. We do all of this as we imitate and follow. We don't have to choose between being a plumber and a Christian. No, we imitate Christ as we work our trade. We don't we imitate Christ as we mow our grass, as we raise our cattle. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I'll have to put an asterisk because you, you can't preach without an asterisk. As you follow Christ, 
he will call you to do something that ultimately will call you to give up something. Okay? For whatever reason, Jesus called this man to go across the lake with him, and he had to give up whatever it was, whether his dad was still alive or not. You and I are called to follow Christ and imitate Christ, and first and foremost, the thing you have to give up is yourself. Probably the biggest deception most Christians have these days is that they think they can worship themselves and worship Christ at the same time. They think they can follow Jesus while pursuing the absolute while pursuing the deceptions that this world has to offer, which is summed up very well in Burger King's slogan, right? Have it your way. The the church at Thess- uh, Thessalonica, I think that's what, what we were looking at earlier. Their contentiousness, their self-seeking caused them to not know and follow God. And so we must have to understand as we get caught up in this life, in this world... That we're not making decisions for ourselves. We're not making decisions for the best things that we can do. But we're making decisions that best glorify God and help us to imitate Jesus. Some of, here's my prayer. Some of you might have to give up something to be a missionary and go to Kahar. That's going to be going to the other side of the lake, right? Some of you, some of you do give of give up something to to love a child in foster care or uh, help them through the process and some of you give up saturday evenings to study and teach sunday school there's always as a christian a call to go somewhere or do something and following jesus where you have to end up giving up something isn't that the way of jesus himself so Prioritize, if the Lord is calling you to follow him, do not delay. Follow him. If you have been following him your whole life, continue to prioritize him as the number one reason, the number one thing to wake up and to do whatever it is you do in the morning. But I want to finish by just making this statement. No excuses and no regrets. As you follow Christ, do not let the things of your life become your excuses to follow Jesus. No excuses. You know, it appears that this is what the disciple could have been doing. There was probably a true life reality in his life. His father was either dead or dying or of old age. But it had become his excuse to not go to the other side. The reality of his life... We're not going to assume that he was lying. But there was some truth in what he was saying. He had to bury his father. But Jesus said, no, it is more important that you obey my call and follow me. So regardless of the truth of your situation, this man and his the life of his father, no matter what is going on, do you, you cannot create excuses from the truths of your life so that you don't have to respond to Jesus 
and follow Him wherever He takes you. I think about the illustration, easy illustration, and I'm guilty of it probably more than anybody. I've not been reading my Bible in the morning. Why? Because I'm having such a hard time getting out of bed. And I got to get out of bed because I got to get to work. And so if I've got to get to work, I've got, you know, I've got to prioritize because if I don't go to work, I'll, I, I won't make money to pay for my uh, pay for the mortgage and the food. And if I don't do that, I'm not taking care of my family. And you know what Paul says about someone who doesn't care for his family. He's as worse as an unbeliever. And so I if I man, I have a hard time getting out of bed. I have just enough time to get ready for work. So I've not been reading my Bible. And okay, that's understandable. That's something that's going on my life in my life. It is imitating Christ to get ready for work and to show up on time and do a good job to provide for my family. But here's the question you should ask me. Well, what time did you go to bed last night? Right? We can't take the truths of our lives and make excuses because the reality is it's probably not the whole truth. Or, how much did you thumb through Facebook after the alarm went off? Right? We can't take a partial truth and make excuses when it comes to following Christ. The truth is, there are never excuses. I think that's what Jesus wants us to understand in his interaction with this man. There are no excuses. And when we prioritize following Jesus... No matter the situation, no matter the obstacles, even if we have to give up something, we'll never regret it. No excuses, no regrets, ever. Notice what Jesus says to the disciple. This is the I save this for the end because it's the to me it's the weirdest statement, and it's one I just leave the dead to bury their own dead. He tells this disciple. Now, that's a tough verse. It's, it's a tough sentence to understand, and not everybody agrees of what it means directly. Uh, but most take an interpretation that says he's speaking about two types of dead people here. Now, keep in mind, no regrets. We've got those who are physically dead, assuming like the disciple's father. Have, they've got no blood pumping through their veins. There's no life in their, lung, there's no life in their lungs. There's no life in them whatsoever. Physical dead. But then, who's burying them? Well, the dead. Well, who's that? It's got to be the spiritual dead. They've got blood pumping through their veins. They've got air in their lungs. But yet, they have no life in them. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. The dead are burying the dead. And I don't think Jesus is saying, only unbelievers can bury the dead. I think we can all agree on that. But I do think Jesus was reminding him of the upward call of following him. I think he was reminding him that the ministry of Jesus is dealing with life. Let the dead worry about the dead. You come with me and let's preach life. Right? Eternal life. Follow me and receive life. Follow me and preach life. Follow me and live and preach in the hope of the resurrection of the dead. It made me think about Jesus' interaction with Martha after, as they stand next to the tomb of Lazarus. 
And Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, yet he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Did you hear that? That's the ministry of Jesus. That's what he was calling this disciple to. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. When you follow Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, when you throw away every excuse and you're obedient to the call to follow him initially and then daily, there's no regrets. Because you have what? Hope. Joy. Peace. The ministry of life. So do not delay, but follow Christ today. Do not quit, but follow him wherever he leads. Follow the resurrection and the life and live with him forever. That's what he calls us to. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. John writes this as Jesus and his disciples are standing around. It says this, after something that Jesus had said, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you want to go as well? And Simon Peter said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So what is, what is, what is Peter saying? We believe and we'll follow. There's nowhere else for us to go. You go across the lake, we'll go. more verse if I can find it here I can't find it that's okay so we come together as Christians to this table and Jesus calls us to do this in remembrance of him to come together covered in the blood remembering his broken body given to us we come together in the name of Christ and every time we come and we partake of this meal together this breaking of the bread and and the pouring out of his blood we consider it and we meditate on it. It's a guidepost for us throughout our lives. A reminder to continue to follow day by day, week by week, month by month. And so Christian, when you come here and you take this bread and you take this cup, understand, yes, it is a piece of bread and it is a cup of juice. But understand that it is telling you, reminding you of the work of Christ, of his return And also of your proclamation of his death until he comes. And we follow him wherever he goes. And so Christians, we will come together at this table and we practice open communion here 
at Ozarks Bible Church, which means it's open, the table is open for Christians, for baptized believers who are a part of uh, the universal body of Christ. Uh, this table is not for unbelievers. This table is for those who have put their faith in Christ and followed Him and declared to this world that they will go wherever He leads. And so we come together in the name of Jesus as the family of God to eat this meal together, to share and to consider uh, the work of Christ and His return, uh, uh, His return to take us one day. And so with that, Brother Dan, will you uh, bless these elements?